Welcome to The Talk at Revolution, where each week we explore what it looks like to find Jesus and live like Him in a practical way. At Revolution Community Church, we know that we are better together. Each week, we look to celebrate Jesus, connect with others, and contribute to the church, community, and beyond. If you'd like to connect with Revolution or take a next step, please visit us at revolutioncc.org or at our Logansport, Indiana campus located at 3930 East Market Street. And now, we hope you are encouraged and challenged by this talk. How's it going? (laughs) My name is Katie Scott. Um, I'm a mom of three, and my husband Nate is the worship pastor here at the church, and I'm also a member of our speaking team. There's my sweet little family. We've got lots of littles, very busy days. And the last few weeks, we've been digging into the stories of the villains, right? And I have found this series like really fascinating, and I have learned things I have never heard before at all. If you are here, have you learned or heard something in the weeks before that you'd never heard before in the Bible? Like the first guy that we talked about, that Abimelech, I literally never, never heard of him. And I've I've read the Bible. (laughs) Um, I knew that Goliath was really tall, but 10 feet tall. I don't think I realized how tall that really was. So 10 feet tall. And then there was Delilah, the lady last week. She was a special little treat, wasn't she? Wow, what a lady. Goodness. And if you're watching online and you've been listening all along maybe to us, you could type in the chat um, something maybe that you've learned that you've never heard before um, through this series about the villains. And this week, we're going to be talking about a villain in the New Testament, maybe one of the first villains that popped into your mind when you heard about this series, and his name is Judas. And the Judas we're going to learn about today is maybe not quite the Judas that you are expecting. He, he doesn't look like this. He's not kind of creepily sulking around the background of the story. You know, Jesus isn't rolling his eyes at him. Judas is really, he's the enemy that started out a friend. And he started out beloved and trusted, a member of one of Jesus' closest circle. And he got some things wrong. And I'm excited to dive into this story because it's so nuanced, it's so rich, so beautiful. Um, But first, let's take a moment, and I just want to pray for us as we get started, okay? God, I just thank you that you are always speaking to us. God, I pray um, as I speak today that we would hear about how Judas got it wrong, but God, more importantly, about how we can get it right, Father. Um, I just pray that you would use me today um, and that your word um, would be spoken. In your son's name I pray, amen. If you have your Bible with you and you want to follow along, um, that's great. I'm just going to give you a heads up that we're going to be moving through a lot of the Gospels today um, kind of quickly. So we're going to have all the verses on the screen, but if you want to follow along in your Bible, feel free to do it. Okay, we're going to dive in um, to the first time we meet Judas, which is in Mark 3, verses 13 to 19. It says, afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain and called out those he wanted to go with him. 
and they came to him. And then he appointed 12 of them and called them his apostles. They were to accompany him and he would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. These are the 12 he chose. Simon, whom he named Peter. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, but Jesus nicknamed them the sons of thunder. (laughs) They've got some fans. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who would later betray him. He chose Judas Iscariot, who would later betray him. Um, my youngest son is three years old. His name is Griffin. Whenever we watch like a cinematic mar- you know, movie, a great film like The Lion King, for example, um, my son, who's three, he always likes to know right away who the bad guy is. So the moment that Scar's face flashes on scene, he's looking to his dad and I going, bad guy, bad guy. And then when we were like, yeah, yeah, that's the bad guy. That's the villain. Yep, you got it. Um, and then whenever he comes on the screen later, every time he sees him, Griffin goes, bad guy, bad guy, because he just wants to know, right? He just wants to be aware. And in a similar way, the gospel writers are giving us lots of spoilers that this is the bad guy. They want us to know ahead of time that he's the one that's going to betray Jesus. And of course, when they wrote the book, they had the gift of hindsight, but as they were experiencing the events um, that were there, they they didn't know at the time what he would do and the choices that he would make. Judas, um, a couple facts about Judas. Um, Judas is a pretty common name at the time of Jesus. Jesus actually has a brother named Judas. Um, his name is Jude as well, he's called. And he wrote one of the books in the Bible. Um, the other disciple, Thaddeus, he's referenced here, but he's also sometimes called Judas. So it's a pretty popular name. And his second name, Iscariot, is thought to mean a man from Kerioth. So it really is about his, where he's from. And Kerioth was a city much farther south than Galilee, where the rest of the disciples were from. So they were from up top in um, Israel, and he was from the bottom section. So it was kind of like, kind of like he was like Cajun Judas, maybe. Like that was kind of his nickname. And he would probably have had a different accent than the other disciples. And we don't really know what led him or what drew him all the way from home up to Galilee into Jesus' company. So he's drawn by his teaching. He hears him preaching, and then he's selected to be in this elite group to do life and ministry with Jesus. And Judas is trusted in this group of men. I think that's something that I've kind of breezed over. And one of the reasons I think he's trusted is because he's given the role of treasurer. Has anyone here ever played the game Monopoly? Who likes the game Monopoly? Raise your hand. Okay, I'm going to put my hand down because I hate Monopoly. It's a terrible game. Um, But when you are playing Monopoly, for the banker, you want to choose someone who is A, smart, right? They've got to be able to do the math and make the money in their head, right? More than being smart, though, you want them to be trustworthy, right? You need an honest baker, even before you need a smart one. So I think that's one of the reasons Judas is really trusted in this group. He's given this, this special, important role, this trustworthy role of being the treasurer of the group. He goes out and does miracles with the 12. He's one of these ones that's commissioned to drive out demons and to heal the sick and raise the dead. And he was there in the boat when Jesus calmed the great storm with his voice. And he was there on the hillside picking up the leftovers when Jesus fed the 5,000. Like he had those baskets in his hand, feeling the weightiness of God's miracles in his arms. 
He knew what Jesus' laugh sounded like. He was there when Jesus taught in the temples and the hillsides, and he heard every message, every sermon, every lesson that Jesus ever taught. He was there at the tomb when Jesus sobbed, when his friend Lazarus died. And he was there when Jesus called him forth, called him out into new life and raised him from the dead. He was there. And it feels like he should have been there to the end. Trusted in the 12 and and Jesus' friend. But Judas got some things wrong. Like really, really wrong. And I've spent these last few weeks learning about Judas and, and hearing his story I've seen myself in this villain. I haven't seen myself in some of the other villains, but I've seen this myself in this villain. And I've seen how he gets it wrong, and I know that how I want to get it right. So let's dive into his story a little bit more together. The first way that Judas got it wrong is that Judas thought that he knew better than Jesus. We're going to jump a little bit ahead of the narrative, so all this that I just talked about has taken place. We're nearing the end of Jesus' life. And we read in John 12, 1 to 5, six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man that he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Sounds really good, right? (laughs) But the long story short is that Judas thinks he knows better than Jesus. Does anyone maybe in this room have a kid that thinks that they know better than them? Or maybe like you are that kid. You're like, I'm the one. There's a few of us here. And this comes back to the trait that I've noticed is popping up a lot for these villains. Pride, right? We've seen it all along. Thinking that you know better than God is pride. Thinking that you have a right to criticize God's plan is pride. Thinking that you are the exception to God's commands, like he must have meant that for every other human being in the world, but it doesn't really apply to you, the rules don't apply to you, is pride. And in his pride and greed, Judas is the ringleader of these disciples who harshly correct Mary for her act of worship. And this interaction reveals his heart, right? His heart is like a bottle of chocolate milk that's been rolling around in the minivan for a couple weeks. And if you open up the lid on that, it's going to be holy, holy gross, you know? It's going to be like those beans in the game that they played earlier that some of them, it looked okay, but on the inside, it tastes pretty nasty. And Judas has missed the point of this whole upside-down kingdom way that Jesus has been teaching. He thinks he knows better. And Judas was in the right places, and he was with the right people, and he was looking like a leader in the faith movement. But his heart was light years away from Jesus. And man, let this be true for us, that we can show up here on Sundays and we can say the right words, and we can raise our hands at the right moment, and we can look like leaders in this movement, but Jesus has never moved our hearts. Jesus wasn't fooled by Judas. He's not fooled by our play acting at following God either. And Jesus always welcomes, this is so beautiful, Jesus always welcomes humble worshipers and humble learners. 
those who come to him holding nothing back, who are honest and open before him, and those who let Jesus lead them, not the other way around. The second way that Judas got it wrong is Judas gave Satan easy access to his heart. We're going to keep reading about this. In this story, John, his fellow disciple, gives us this insight into Judas' motivations in the situation. He says, Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. So a banker gone bad. And Jesus replied, Leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So Jesus publicly rebukes Judas, and this is kind of the last stinging blow to his pride. He just can't hardly handle it. And Matthew tells us what he does next. It says in Matthew 26, 14 to 16, then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples, went to the leading priests and asked him, how much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. And from that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. When I was a teenager, um, I had just the blessing in my life to drive this black with like the sweet red pinstripe full-size van. I know, I know, what a blessing, right? And it wasn't like a 15-passenger van, at least, more like the van that Scooby-Doo drove. Um, but there was also like this big Tweety Bird like tire cover on the back, so it was just really, really, really sweet. Like, what a sweet blessing to be able to drive this full-size van around as I was a teenager. Um, and then I also had the distinct blessing of having a brother older, one year older than me and a brother one year younger than me. So... Um, My parents, sometime in the early 2000s, had three teenage drivers living at home. So what a blessing for them. Like, so good. Um, So we're going to bring this together. So it all comes together, the three teenage drivers, the big black Tweety Broom van at the county fair, where all the good stories are, right? So we were a fair family, and we were at the fair, you know, like for 10 days, and we felt like we lived there. And um, to facilitate kind of all the teenagers like coming and going and some people wanted to leave early, some people staying late, some people need to make a Dairy Queen run, make a Walmart run. We decided it would be best to just leave the keys in the big black Tweety Bird van, just kind of there was this little pocket by the steering wheel. So we just leave the keys in the van with the van unlocked just so we could have like easy access to it while we were at the fairgrounds. The key assumption being that no one would steal the big black Tweety Bird van. We assumed wrong. <laughs> If you have ever read the book, If You Give a Mouse a Cookie, it goes like, if you give a mouse a cookie, then it's going to ask for a glass of milk, right? And then just a pro tip for you, if you leave the keys in your unlocked van, someone's going to steal it eventually. And that is what happened to our Tweety Bird van. And the way the story pulls into our, our, our story about Judas is the way we can get it right where Judas got it wrong is to not leave the keys in the unlocked van, Okay? In Ephesians 4, the writer Paul puts it as, don't give the devil a foothold. Don't give Satan easy access to your life by craving anything other than God. Don't give Satan easy access to your life by worshiping anything other than God. In 1 Timothy 6.10, it says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. 
Man, that verse is going to sum up Judas's life for sure. And the temptation to sin, whether that is pride or greed or really worshiping anything other than God, whether that's your success or your reputation or your money or your health or your security or your family, it's real and it's sly. We don't really know why Judas wants this money. We don't know why he keeps, you know, grabbing a little bit from the money bag. And we don't really know what he, why he wants this 30 pieces of silver so badly. Maybe he is like going to save up and buy a nice little piece of property back in Kerioth and he's just kind of setting up his life for when he's done with this ministry thing. You know, maybe he wants a fast camel or a cooler car than, you know, something. Uh, maybe he wants a new robe. We just don't know. But Satan plays Judas like a fiddle. He's a master of tempting us and getting us to believe things like, I work so hard so I deserve to go out and party on the weekends. My boss treats me like dirt, so it's okay if I... I'm really only sharing this with her so that she could pray about it for me. Or no one gets hurt when I... And this reminded me of a quote that has always stuck with me. And give me a thumbs up if you're online and you agree with this. It says, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. It's costly to leave your van with a key, unlocked with the keys in it at the county fair. And the path of pride and greed that Judas is on is going to be costly for him as well. And we're going to move forward in our story a few days. It's the Passover season. Jesus has ridden into Jerusalem on the donkey with the palm branches. And he's been in the temples. He's cleared the temple. He's been speaking out against the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, calling them dogs. And the city of Jerusalem is like this powder keg that's about to blow. You can follow along in John chapter 13 if you want. And on Thursday of this week, Jesus sets in motion a dinner party for his 12 disciples, the Last Supper. And as they come in, Jesus takes the role of the servant and he bends down and washes the disciples' feet. He washes Judas's feet. Can you imagine it? Like Jesus, with kindness in his eyes, kneeling down before his betrayer to wipe the road scum off his feet. And this is not the Last Supper like maybe you have pictured it. It's not like the famous painting where there's like a bunch of guys on one side of a long table. It's not like that. It's not like how I pictured it, which was kind of like Thanksgiving dinner is always kind of what I had in my head. Um, but there would have at the time how they ate dinner, there would have been a small table in the center. And then there would have been couches or mat that went around the table. And so they would have laid on the mat probably about three of them on each one on the sides, and they would have propped themselves up with one hand and used their other hand to dip onto the table and eat. And we know that on Jesus' couch with Jesus, there was his beloved disciple John on his right side. And most likely on the other side, in the other place of honor, was Judas. And as they're eating, it says Jesus' heart is troubled in John 13, 21. And he says, one of you is going to betray me. Have you ever had a betrayal? Man, if you have, you know this pit of, in your stomach and this pain just 
that was resting, that was what Jesus was feeling, that pit in his stomach that my friend is going to betray me. And then in this scene, Peter, who is probably not on, not on Jesus' couch, he's kind of a little ways away, he kind of motions to John and is like, hey, hey, ask him who it is. Like, who's the bad guy? You know, Peter wants to know because he didn't really know. So John, who's leaning next to Jesus, he leans back on Jesus and asks Jesus who it is. And Jesus says, whoever I hand this piece of dipped bread to is the one. And so he dips the bread in this mixture of bitter herbs and extends it to Judas, serving him one last time. And he says to him, maybe softly, maybe with tears in his eyes, we don't know, whatever you're going to do, do quickly. And Judas reaches out his hand and takes the bread, and Satan enters him, the Bible says, and he leaves to betray Jesus. And no one else gets it. Jesus literally just said, this is a bad guy, and no one else gets it. The Bible says none of of the others knew what Jesus meant. Since Judas was their treasurer, some thought Jesus was telling him to go and pay for the food or to give some money to the poor. Because Judas is so trusted and so loved in the 12, it's unfathomable to them that he could be the one. And it ends saying Judas left at once going out into the night. Jesus got it wrong because he gave Satan easy access to his heart. And the final way that Judas got it wrong is Judas despaired instead of seeking forgiveness. We're going to keep moving through this story quickly. Maybe it's familiar to you, maybe not. You can always go back and read it. We find out that Judas leads the 12 Jewish leaders into the garden where Jesus hangs out a lot in the evenings, and he brings the Jewish leaders and guards to Jesus. He betrays Jesus with a kiss of friendship. Confusion and chaos just breaks out among the disciples and the temple leaders. And Jesus is taken away. And Jesus is imprisoned and beaten and tried. And finally, he's sentenced to death. And in the middle of the story of Jesus, before he has been crucified, but after he's been sentenced, we have this little insight into what Judas does next. Matthew 27, 3 to 5 says, When Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and the elders. I have sinned, he declared, for I have betrayed an innocent man. What do we care? They retorted. That's your problem. Then Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple and went out and hanged himself. Judas actions are not of those of a man who things have gone right, right? His plan has gone horribly awry. Whatever he thought was going to happen to Jesus when he brought those guards to him and he betrayed him, this was not it. And he's filled with remorse and guilt and shame and sorrow. And the final way that Judas got it wrong is that Judas' remorse led him to despair, to completely lose hope instead of repenting and seeking the forgiveness of Jesus, the complete fulfillment of hope. The final way that Judas got it wrong is that Judas' remorse led him to despair, to completely lose hope instead of repenting and seeking the forgiveness of Jesus, who is the complete fulfillment of hope. 
Guys, what a different story could have been written if instead of going to the Pharisees, Jesus had went, or Judas had went to the cross. Because Jesus always offers forgiveness. There was forgiveness for Judas. There's always a way to step out of the villain role. And there's always repentance and forgiveness and restoration with Jesus. Because Jesus is the hero of the story. Jesus chose Judas. Judas was part of God's plan from the beginning. He knew that Judas would betray him when he chose him way back when he first met him. And he loved him anyways. And Jesus washed his feet anyways. And he ate his last meal on earth with him anyways. And Jesus' way is the upside down way. Right? We think that we know what's best. We think we know what we deserve, what we're owed. But Jesus takes all of that and shakes it upside down. He says, if you want to be first, you be last. You want to be wise, be like a child. You want to be rich, sell it all and follow me. But Judas missed all that. Heard every lesson, saw every miracle and missed it. But Jesus, the hero, always offers forgiveness. And no matter how deep your betrayal, no matter how subtle your sin, his love is big enough to cover it all. And he will never give up on extending you forgiveness until your last breath. Because Jesus doesn't take a last breath. And Judas despaired because he thought the cross was the end. But the cross was just the beginning. It was the way to the empty grave for you and me so that we could have forgiveness ourselves and restoration and a relationship with a holy God. And we can, betrayers and adulterers and haters and prideful and greedy, all of us, be freed from our sin because of what Jesus did on the cross. There's the hope we're all villains that can be set free. And Judas ultimately didn't, didn't seem to believe this. And that's where he got it really, really wrong. And he stayed in a state of despair and hopelessness and instead of putting his hope in Jesus. And maybe you're sitting here and maybe you have maybe never stepped into the role of betrayer, but you've been the person that's been betrayed. And this story makes you kind of angry, but also the ending is a little bit smug and maybe a little bit satisfying to you because you know the feeling of wishing that your villain would get hit by a bus. But instead of vengeance or karma, God's upside down counterintuitive call to us as followers of him is forgiveness, just like Jesus did. It's service, just like Jesus did. And it's radical and it's not easy, but it's how we follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Let's pray. God, I pray that those here today, if they need to open their hands and their arms to receive your forgiveness, or maybe they need to open them and extend your forgiveness to someone else, Father, we pray that you would move, that you would heal and convict and work in our lives. We know, Father, that the darkness can't overcome you. We know that no plan of yours can be thwarted. We know, Father, that you are the real hero, writing the hero story of Jesus over every one of our mistakes 
every time that we've lost our way, every moment of pride that we've stepped into, Father. You are over it and you cover it and you love us no matter what. We thank you, Father.